0: Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 153 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where you can check out Dog Works Volume 2 and his Acoustic Encounters podcast that he does with Dandy Barnes about the Shady Grove album. So head over to Acoustic Disc and check that out as well. Hope everybody's doing good. I'm running around like crazy here, trying to get ready to leave for IBMA first thing in the morning, and uh, all my shirts are lost in UPS. Super frustrating. Not really sure what to do about that. Got the hats in hand. Got some new koozies. But UPS is playing keep away with the shirts right now. So anyway, what are you going to do about that? You know what? Put me in a better mood, though. Talking to Thomas Castle today. Uh, Thomas is a great guy, man. I really love uh, whenever I get a chance to hang out with him when I'm in Nashville. He's a fantastic player. I mean, as you're going to hear right now, he's playing in multiple different projects, along with having um, new albums by Circus Number no. 9 and a solo album. So, you know, you don't get those gigs by not being A, a great player, but B, being a great guy. And Thomas is both of those. So I think you're going to enjoy this episode. All the songs that you're going to hear on this episode are available on his brand new album and also on Circus Number 9's album as well. I'll play a couple snippets from that too. So I'm going to get right into the uh, the ads here. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these people in person, especially the Peghead Nation people. I haven't met Dan in person, but I truly appreciate all the support that he's given the podcast. Uh, you know all about it. They got the online streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. Bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. I think they're being modest. I think they've got the best group of instructors that you're going to find Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. Uh, Everything's high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, plenty of tunes of songs to play, and the best part is they give you mandolin beer fans the first 30 days for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use that promo code mandolinbeer, all one word at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, looking forward to seeing Adrian and the crew over there. They posted the the instruments they're going to be bringing to IBMA. They're beautiful, as always. Uh, Let's build more than a mandolin together with Northfield Mandolins. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. and Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Also going to be their Ellis Mandolins. I'm super excited about that. Handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. So there you go. Going to be at IBMA. Another group of people that are going to be at IBMA, Stan and the folks from Elderly Instruments. And Elderly is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage and fretted stringed instruments. For the experienced to beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I mention mandolins, includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 50th year, they're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at Elderly.com or give them a call, 517-372-7880. They're super helpful. And my buddy Roger Simonoff is offering mandolins and beer listeners 10% off through the end of the year on packs of strings, on the six-pack of strings, and also the books. If you go to StraightUpStrings.com and go to their online store, Enter the code MANDOBEER, all one word, all caps. You're going to get a 10% discount on books, strings, and that includes the six packs. That is a huge savings. And Roger Simonoff doing a great, great service to the mandolins and beer listeners by offering 10% discount on books and strings, and that includes the six packs of strings. Just go to straightupstrings.com, and you can do all the shopping there, one-stop shopping. Want to build a mandolin? Go to straightupstrings.com. Want to string your mandolin? Go to straightupstrings.com. First thing you should do when you get there is sign up for their incredible newsletter. It comes out once a month. It's always filled with great information. The strings are great. You hear every note of every chord. And I mean, his, his book is legendary among mandolin, uh, luthiers. So go to straightupstrings.com now and use the code Mando all one word, all caps at checkout and get your 10% off. Thank you so much to all my advertisers. Thank you all so much for, for listening, uh, you guys have yourselves a fantastic week. I hope to see some of you at IBMA. I'm in booth 300-something along the wall. I don't have it right here, but you'll be able to find me. I'm with Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Let's get to this episode with Thomas Castle. Have a great week. Cheers, everybody. All right, now it's a, my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Thomas Castle. Thomas, how's it going, man? We're we're great. Yeah, how are you doing, man? Doing good, buddy. Always good to talk to you. Um, yeah. First off, you're a super busy guy. You've been playing with a few acts, it looks like, judging from uh, from the interwebs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been been doing a whole bunch of stuff lately. Um, it's great. I get to play different music almost every week.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I, the one for sure I know of is uh, the Chris Jones filling in for, for Mark.
1: Yeah, Mark just had a, had a had a routine neck surgery, so he's out until November. I just did a run up in Ohio with Chris a couple of weeks ago.
0: With something like that, does he have a kind of a, um, a set list that he's just like, here's the tunes, or is it like, I've got five albums worth of music to pick from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm going to play yet.
1: I think they play quite a variety of stuff. Um, for those couple of shows, Chris just made me a Spotify playlist and it was about 20, 20 songs. I think and we, we stuck to that pretty, pretty well through we a couple of standardy kind of things, but.
0: And uh, who else you've been playing with?
1: Oh, let's see. I just, I just got back from New Mexico last night. I was playing with this guy, Caleb Cottle, who's a great songwriter. Um, and he has kind of a, kind of a trio uh, of sorts. Sometimes it's a quartet with Dobro. Um, and he's, he's always kind of done a, more rock and roll thing. But his new record that comes out next month has got Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush. And uh, so we're kind of, kind of going through that sound right now. with Let's see. Before that, I was, I was up at Bean Blossom on, on Wednesday last week, actually playing guitar with Becky Bowler band. Oh, nice. Yeah. that yeah, It was kind of a fun last minute fill in gig. I, I played mandolin with her a few times in the past and, and kind of be at IBM as well. Uh, Mountain. I've been playing with them quite a bit lately this year. Yeah. And also we'll be with them at IBMA and yeah, doing some of my own shows. We just had a circus number nine show a couple of weeks ago and yeah, just lots of music.
0: (laughs) What a uh, polar opposite from a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I know. There's so much going on. What days are you playing at IBMA?
1: Yeah. So Tuesday, um, tomorrow, is is going to be a Becky Bowler and Friends kickoff party at the Lincoln at the Lincoln Theater. Yeah, and it's it's uh kind of a different show. There's a there's a house band. I'm I'm playing mandolin in that house band. I think yeah. Ned Lubreci's on banjo. Nate Sabat is on bass. Um, Dan Boner's on guitar, I believe. And then there's a ton of guests like Jim Lauderdale and Rick Ferris, um, Donnie and Eric from Nephish Mountain, uh, Stephen Mojan, just a bunch of people coming up. And, you know, I'm doing a song or two. And then, let's see, Netflix Mountain has a couple of shows. And then I've got a solo show uh, for my new record. Uh, I mean, it's not solo, but it's, you know, my name. Um, on Wednesday night at 11.15 in the Mountain Fever Suite. Yeah, that's, that, that one's going to be me and Tim Stafford's playing guitar, Julian Pinelli on fiddle, uh, Hazy Siaco on bass, and Justin Alexander on banjo. We'll
0: have, to swing, we'll have to swing by that one. That'll be a
1: good one. Yeah,
0: please do. So, and, and actually, that leads into why we're talking today. You got this brand new album out called "What You Need to Prove," which is fantastic, and just came out. Yeah, yeah, man. So, how long has this one been in the hopper for you? Because you also had you also had a Circus uh, Number Nine album come out here just pretty recently, in in the in the scheme of things.
2: And lights the yeah
1: yeah so um, the circus album we actually did almost two years to the day that it came out it came out july 1st and i think we started working on it like the first week of july 2020. so yeah it was it was like originally we were gonna record in march and then we said may and then we said july and finally finally like by july we had figured out how we could kind of like safely knock it out and yeah we did it the whole month of july like we did a few days every week in the studio um here in nashville and, and knocked out the record and ended up being yeah about two years later it finally came out and it came out before my record and, and mine was recorded i guess I think we started in May of last year, of 21. We started in May and finished around August. Yeah, and it, it came out in September, so about a year.
0: When'd you, uh, where'd you record this one?
1: Uh, so my record I recorded at ETSU, which is the same place that I recorded Voyager. Uh, same studio. Yeah. It sounds great. Thanks, yeah. Same engineer. Um, I even used the same stereo pair of you know old KM-84s that I used on Voyager
0: the separation of the instruments on this album really stands out great. I, I, I was listening oh, yeah, to it with thanks. uh, yeah, man, I always love that. You know, it's just, it's, yeah. it sounds, you know, multi-dimensional, and uh, yeah, it's really cool. Like, congratulations on that.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think UTSU is a, it's a small studio, really well-treated room. You know, there's no like parallel surfaces or anything like that, uh, but it's, it's one room and then kind of a little corridor type, thing that we call the green room uh, where you could, you could put one person in there and then the control room and I, I think the setup was that uh, we had guitar and bass and maybe maybe fiddle as well in the main room which is probably about three to 500 square feet somewhere in there I could be way, way off on that it's not, it's not small but it's not huge either Um, and then we also had uh, Dobro, I believe, in the kind of green room, and then I was in the control room with with the engineer, Ben Bateson. Of course, like Gobos and, you know, as much separation as you can get in live tracking. (laughs) Who was the band that you used on the album? So, it's mostly the same band. Tim Stafford plays guitar on the whole thing, Um, and there's a couple of fiddle players. Julian Pinelli plays on every track but one and uh, that's another. You is the is the track that Julian's not on. Hunter Berry plays that. Uh, when John Weisberg and I wrote that song, we kind of we were going for a Benny Martin and there'll John Hartford sound. And uh, you know, Even Hunter Berry is, is kind of the reincarnation be of Benny Martin in many ways. So uh, the and, and, play fiddle the and same, uh, played fiddle on that one. And same medley track. Played banjo on that one. That's the only you. track. It's got banjo actually. He, he did a really good kind of John Hartford style banjo. Yeah, Vince Logan from Circus plays bass on the whole thing. Uh, Jacob Metz uh, plays Cobra on the whole thing as well.
0: How long How long did you start amassing
1: songs for this? This is a,
0: one thing I think that's really great, man, is your songwriting. Oh, now. thanks. Yeah. I know there are, yeah, there are some co writes and stuff too, but yeah, just really uh, each song is just really story based and like. You know, it's one thing I noticed was like paying attention to, oh, oh where's the story going? Yeah. You know, like each song, which is which is always a pleasant surprise. Thanks. Yeah, that's I was kinda of shooting for
1: a more songwritery kind of bluegrass record. You know, there's still two instrumentals but Kind of song based, and and, you know, not it's not really shreddy ever. Like, I I kind of left that out on this record. You know, there's not like a burning bluegrass tune, which you know, I I do miss in many ways, but also this is you know, kind of just a small eight song record. It's just kind of like story based, you know, just songs and a couple of instrumentals.
0: The solos are all great solos, you know, they're oh, thanks, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things, too, that you were you could really see a maturity. Not that you were ever an immature player, and I don't mean it like no, that. Though. But you know what I mean. I like,
1: definitely was. <laughs> there was time. Yeah.
0: But you know, it's the the there's the, it's not like um, just waiting for the solo sort of songs. You know what I mean? Like the songs, sure. the songs really, yeah. really well. And did you now? Did you plan that ahead of time? Were those solos kind of done prior to recording, or did you just kind of wing it in the studio? Because they sound they sound so good. They sound like they might have been pre-planned.
1: There were a couple that were kind of composed, um, you know, when the recording setup we used, I really liked because I like getting the live feel in recording and, and we of course tracked live, but a lot of times live tracking on vocal songs means that sometimes you're tracking the music live, but, but no one's singing. And I, I wanted to avoid that. So when I was in the control room with the engineer, playing live everything that i did got replaced um, by me so i played live everyone played to me and then i went back and put a fresh mandolin track on a fresh vocal track but that kind of let me sing everything while everyone was playing and gave like the full song perspective in the studio i like that too because it I don't have to use like everyone else's time in the studio to put my own or to fix my own break or something.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a ton of pressure too, for somebody when you're, when you're the one footing the bill and your name, when your name's on the album and you're worried about like, Oh my God, you know, I'm spending all this money. These guys are here all day because I can't land the break between the, uh, (laughs) the second verse and chorus.
1: So it it was good. It was a good like system because I could, I could kind of just play through it and and do my best and, and give like a foundation for everybody to play to you and then just say like hey you know you guys do what you need to do um you know and i'll fix my parts later and and that let me kind of go home and and play to the tracks you know i've I had access to the session so i could meet the mandolin and just kind of play along and come up with all these ideas and most of the solos kind of developed that way and and i knew exactly what i was going to play before going into the studio And I'd never done that before, you know, like with Voyager, you know, it was all live, like everything you hear on that album is live. Um, There might've been a couple of solo punches, but they were all done like in the moment. Like, you know, we would get a track and someone would say, Oh, I need to fix that break. So we would just go through that. But there wasn't kind of that like take it home and work on it perspective that I got on this record. And then, you know, same thing with sessions. It's like, I'm always having to cut. I'm playing on something else for somebody. I'm always having to cut the solo there. And then So if I got like a month to think about it, it might come out much different.
0: And I kind of forget about it being a short album. A lot of times when I listen to them, I kind of have them on repeat. So it just starts back from track one again. And you know, what's kind of nice about that is you just, you just go back in and listen to the album again.
1: Yeah. There, there were like a few more songs that I thought about throwing in, but you know, I wanted it to be like, I didn't want to like stretch it just for the sake of making it long. Like I, I thought that these all worked together really well and it didn't necessarily need to be longer than an eight track album. How'd you come up with the title? Uh, it's, it's kind of pulled um, from one of the lyrics and traveling shoes. And, and there's a couple of songs that, that talk about like needing to prove something or, or like having, you know, having something that you feel like you need to prove, which is, you know something that i think every musician kind of you know grapples with and is feeling like they need to to show everybody that they can do this one thing or you know like show everybody that they can absolutely shred or that they can they can do this or that they're touring 100 dates and it's like you know and, and it took me a long time i think to get over caring about that and like it just you know, when I think about like the best players, they're just so tasteful that it's so obvious that they're not trying to like prove anything or show you that they can do something. They're just like creating a, a musical moment. And I think that's that's kind of what I was, you know, trying to to channel on this and and just in my you know music musicianship and life, just going forward is just like I'm not trying to prove anything. It's just I just want to create good music and, and a good moment. That's pretty, uh,
0: that's a super mature thought again, because you're a young guy. You know what I mean? That's oh, you're, you're figuring out yeah. like some experiences that people take more <laughs> yeah. years to figure out, and, and and I love fast playing and as much as the next guy, but you know it's, it's oh, a little yeah. bit different. Like when you sit down in the grand grand scheme of things and you, you listen back to some some of your favorite players' later work, and you're like, yeah, it's just uh, it's like they figured something out here, and it wasn't just about um, BPMs.
1: That's the thing. Yeah, it's like you can you can play like things that are kind of shreddy, but also tasteful, which I, I mean, I love doing that. And I love like doing like the Adam Steffi, like 170 beats a minute kind of, you know, break on like Shenandoah breakdown or something. That there's <laughs> right. nothing that's more fun than that on mandolin. But like when I was putting together this album, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to make like a, a mandolin showcase album. You know, I'm not, you know, if I was doing that, I might get cut a bunch of standards and, have some blazing mandolin solos but you know that wasn't really the goal here and and same with voyager even i was just you know trying to kind of make these instrumentals that had had kind of character and and created a vibe but nothing was supposed to be like you know check out the solo yeah you know, I, I try to like never make that the point of the music because i feel like a lot of times especially with bluegrass and like song-based things that in a lot of bluegrass like you'll have vocal songs, but they're basically just a vessel for soloing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like that in a lot of genres too. Like, um, like a lot of rock and roll is just like, Oh, I'm just going to sing this verse. And then we're going to solo for like five minutes and then we're going to sing the same verse and then it's over, you know? And I mean, every genre of music has that.
0: My duo partner always, uh, always it has a jam band thing. They'll be like it's like, spotted cat ragu jar. Is it my turn to solo now? <laughs>
1: yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I know And I mean, I love, I love like the Grateful Dead and oh, me too. And all that stuff, but and and like, but even when I think about the Dead, it's like they're just soloing for the same reasons, like to create like kind of a a moment, you know. And that I think that's what a lot of people like about the Dead is that like every show and every solo and every song is a different moment.
0: And I think the the problem becomes the watered down version of anything. Right. The watered down, not even second generation dead, you know, like fourth and fifth generation dead where they're just going to noodle for hours for the sake of noodling, you know? And it's just like, you kind of forget. Same with like, I think some with like some traditional bluegrass stuff. I mean. Right? Um, you, you don't yeah. have to you don't have to love Bill Monroe, but if you don't go back and at least like study a little bit of that, I feel like you're almost missing something. And so is your music because you' you you you're forgetting the soul of it because you're you know it's just you, they don't always go back and maybe respect the roots
1: of it, yeah. like even listening to that Monroe stuff, it was never about flashy playing, at least in, you know, in my eyes. It was always just about you know the sound, the overall sound and, and the songs, you know. And, of course, the playing is, is awesome. And it is flashy, but that's not the point.
0: Yeah, in some of the tunes, he takes a shorter break and shows off the fiddles even a little bit more, you know, just uh, depending on whatever fit the song, I think.
1: You think about, like, um, the bluegrass album band, like the first records, um, you know, that's that's second-generation bluegrass, but there's, like, maybe two, three mandolin breaks on the whole album. And, and like, man, I'm, I'm fine not playing breaks. I love just the chop and, like, have a good groove going on the mandolin like that's that's worth more to me than anything else
0: and when you're really working on something like that especially the chop i mean i think a lot to some of the players that i've interviewed on the show and they talk about how tony rice's rhythm playing made them solo better and i really find that that's a thing that you can do when you're not soloing locking in with you know whatever the rhythm section is going to be at that time and just making the next person's break even better for them yeah i think that's yeah. like super inspiring to help somebody play better or feel completely comfortable so they can let loose is just as rewarding as letting loose yourself and landing on a dime.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's kind of what I really wanted to go for in this album, you know, and it wasn't, you know, that everything was obviously worked out in the studio and it wasn't like these improvised moments, but I mean, it was really all just about like, well, maybe the mandolin doesn't need to kick this off or maybe it does you know, it was never about like, Oh, well the mandolin's going to kick this off. Cause this is my record and I played. No. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, know? you
0: guys noticed my name's on the album cover. So, uh, yeah. be... <laughs> I'll handle the kickoffs, the endings and the
1: solos. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, you know, there's no no sense in like just doing anything for the sake of it. So it kind of just treated every song like, okay, well, you know, what does this need?
0: You know, uh, what was the first song you had for this project?
1: Oh man. Well, I guess, uh, maybe a redbud tree
2: um yeah that's a Martin knopfler song i think i found that
1: one maybe in 2017 or 18 um i was just kind of you know listening to a bunch of knopfler and, and it's from one of his lesser known records uh privateering i think it's a double album there's like 30 songs on it but yeah the first time i heard red butt tree i was like man this well a, it really reminded me of uh Senora, like it's it's different enough but like i heard it in my head i was like this is like if you did this bluegrass it would be a lot like Signor. um and it, it has the coolest chord progression for me and, and the you know obviously the lyrics are great and at that time it just stuck with me like i i kind of learned the words and, and sang it a little bit but never performed it or even jammed it or anything like i would sing it sitting around the house but um it just kind of kept in the back of my head and then you know when it was time to do another studio record I was like yeah I want to include some kind of cover on this you know let's do that
0: it, you could tell like you listen to other people besides just bluegrass too. that like you listen to songwriters I just talked to yeah. Frank Sullivan uh last weekend yeah same sort of deal man it's just like you can hear all of your influences on this album and that's I, that's the what I love about this genre of music is not everybody just listens to high speed bluegrass. They, everybody's got different things that make yeah. them what they are, you know, and just, you know, like Mark Knopfler, you get uh, most people, I mean, some people might not even know who he is or, or you know, unless you
1: said like dire straits. So like Knopfler solo albums are, are definitely an afterthought for a lot of people. And like, man, I, I love bluegrass, you know, probably more than most people, do, you know, <laughs> even most bluegrass people like i I just totally get off on just listening to like, like Vern Williams and and just old school, like just rough bluegrass, you know, there's nothing better, but you know, there's also something in like just great songwriters. Like I was at circus played this festival a couple of weeks back and, and Jason Isbell was there that day and I watched his set and it was just like, you know, just amazing. Just the songs just totally like just surround you and, and you know, Get inside you and you know it's just he's a master songwriter and, and there's so many people like that and it's, it's a shame to like ignore that stuff just because it's not like got a banjo break <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> the know? crazy thing is though is like any of those songs have something very similar in some of like my favorite bluegrass stuff is, is story songs right. I mean like yeah. who doesn't love a good murder ballad
1: yeah I mean there's a there's a murder ballad on, on Isbell's new record I mean I think it came out in 2020 but um, there's a song called river that's you know about like him killing a guy and and disposing of his body in the river <laughs> but it's it's beautiful it's got these like these introspective lines and and like it's not necessarily just about the fact that he he killed somebody it's just like this beautiful song about why the river is beautiful but it, one of those reasons is that it you know disposed of a body <laughs> <laughs> one of the- He's got he's got this line of that song that I particularly love and it um he's, I think he says he says the river is my savior and she's flowing to the sea and to reach her destination is to simply cease to be. I mean that's just that's just poetry 101 and that's so good.
0: The same thing I told Frank, the same with your album, um, is that they're similar as far as, like, their songwriter basis like, I can listen to your album on a road trip with somebody who doesn't love hard drive and bluegrass for four or five hours. <laughs>
1: you know I mean? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I can put your album on. Yeah. It's like the Gateway album, Frank said, you know what I mean? It's just like. Yeah still got all the things that, that, that make, you know, the bluegrass up, but it's just like a, just a little like a fork in the tree or a branch on the tree, I should say
1: in the thing. Yeah. So. It's like, I want to be able to go play this music at bluegrass festivals, but also at, at you know, other kind of events and, and for people that necessarily don't necessarily go to those kind of things or enjoy like a straight up bluegrass show, i wanna be able to do, do something that kind of is a little, you know, more widely accessible and, Yeah, presentable. How about traveling shoes?
2: Wake up, time to put on your traveling shoes. It's another day in the life you choose. Hello walls, another hotel room. Another place, another face, another race. That one was pretty early, too. Like, like most of these songs
1: were written Someday during COVID. Um, I started working on that one, I guess it, it was in January of 2020. And I, I really don't write solo a lot because I don't, like, trust myself. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, there's some things I've written solo, but, like, I, I go really far down a rabbit hole in one direction with with what I'm writing or you know whatever and, and it's really hard for me to get out by myself uh, which is why I like having co-writers because they can they'll, they'll see something from a completely different angle and it kind of pulls me back gives me perspective. Uh, with that song though I, the thing that started it you know there's, there's like a gospel song called Traveling Shoes and there's, there's you know lots of songs that have that phrase but it was in January 2020 we had this, this circus run And uh, it was in Oregon, so we were flying into Portland. And and I was living in Johnson City still at the time. Our bass player, Vince, lives in in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, about halfway between Johnson City and Nashville. And man, we had like a 7 a.m. flight to fly to Portland, Oregon. Um, And then we had to rent a van and drive like three hours to play a show that night. And and it was like a a two-and-a-half-hour drive to the airport from Oak Ridge as well. And and I just woke up at like three in the morning and you know, I had already like my system in those kind of circumstances is that I'm packed, all I have to do is just put on my shoes and leave. Like, you know. And and I had I think I had a pair of it was winter and we were going to the northwest, you know, so I had a pair of like hiking boots that I was taking. And I I just remember like waking up and just looking at those and I was like I was like, shit, this is, (laughs) like, this sucks, like, you know, and and I just, kind of of the phrase popped into my head, it's like, time to put on your traveling shoes, you know, Um, like, I got three hours of sleep, but it's time to, you know, lace up and go, and I think I wrote some of it on the flight, Um, you know, one of the reasons, like, I love flying is really a normal reason, but, like, I like not having access to, like, forms of entertainment. (laughs) Like, I like just being bored. Um, You know, I read uh, Questlove's book a few years ago, Creative Quest, and and he talks about that, like, like creativity is, like, an extension of boredom. And, like, you know, the less bored you are, the less creative you get to be. Right, right. Because the whole point of creating isn't necessarily, like, like like a job or work it's like i'm just kind of screwing around and making something up like when you come at when you come at creativity from this like oh i've got to write this thing so i can record an album and this and this and this it's like you lose some of the kind of playfulness and like openness that you know regular creativity brings
0: i think you're more open to just finishing it regardless of yeah maybe how good it is you know what i mean you're like well that'll 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 get me through
1: yeah. Like man, I have I have a bunch of songs and a bunch of tunes that are never gonna see the light of day. They're, <laughs> they're like, it's not like I hate them or anything. It's just that I just finished them because I was just messing with it. And you know, maybe, maybe it'll work at some point, some way, but uh, but yeah, I love like being on a plane and I just go back through my voice memos and I'll like listen to tune ideas that I have. Or I'll scroll through my notes on my phone and, and jot down lyrics or ideas for songs and I think that's what I did traveling Jesus, i think i wrote kind of the first verse on this flight and i thought oh, this might be an okay song like i'm gonna stop writing it now and, and find someone to write it with me <laughs> it, it, you know kind of had some multi-tiered perspective and and i i sent it to becky Buller. is it it kind of sounded you know similar to some things that she might write and and we did we didn't do a Zoom or anything at that time because everything was still so busy. I think we just sent like voice memos back and forth to one another. And I want to say we finished it during like the first week of COVID. Yeah, so it was very much like like the, the timing was incredibly ironic. Uh, I don't have a travel at all for like a year. <laughs> Yeah. It um, turned into slippers. Yeah. <laughs> my, my house slippers. Yeah. Oh man. I don't know how many days I didn't even put on shoes, <laughs> but, but yeah, Becky and I finished that song and, and I knew I wanted to do something with that and that I would probably put it out as a single at some point. I recorded a demo during COVID. I, I did this whole like eight song demo record just kind of for fun. Um, and I think, Traveling Shoes is maybe the only one on there that made it onto this album.
0: Oh, wow. Cool, man. Yeah.
1: So it's mostly instrumentals on that. And I, I might do, you know, I, I I still want to do a Voyager volume two at some point. Um, like kind of an instrumental album. So maybe some of those will make it on that in the future. But Yeah. Yeah. The demo is very different of Traveling Shoes. But it it turned out nice Uh, Wyatt Rice actually ended up playing guitar on the demo Which is kind of fun
0: Yeah, that's cool And then the the other song that really blows my mind on here Is New November
2: It was 82 degrees The first day of November Leaves were still on the trees
1: We used
2: to wear coats
1: Best I remember Oh, thanks. Yeah, I actually didn't write that. Um, Tim Stafford and Graham Sharp, Steve King rangers, they wrote that together. Oh, get out
0: of here, really? It
2: was
1: yeah, but like, day uh, like a long time ago, we were looking for some like maybe things to record yeah. for a circus album and ended up not recording anything that wasn't original, but Tim had given me access to like this demo page that he has on his website of all like, you know, there's like a hundred and something songs on there. Um, it's never been recorded or anything. And, and that one really stuck out to me because it's like, it's like this mashy bluegrass song, but it's, you know, obviously about climate change and, you know, and, and no one, no one had really taken the bait on it yet to record it. Um, so I said like, man, you know, I really dig this. Like, and th- that actually might've been back in like 2018 or, or 19 at the latest. No kidding. And, yeah. And I, I told him, I'm like, I have no idea (laughs) when or if I'll be able to use this, but like, just so you know, like I really dig it and I want to do something with it. Ended up by the time this record was, I was starting to look at it, like I double checked and no one, no one was like interested in it yet. So, um, ended up being able to record it on this one with Tim playing guitar.
0: Yeah. You really own it, man. I mean, it's, it fits, fits the album. Great.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I thought it was a good, good like last song for the record too. With some of these, like that one's very mashy, but at the same time, there's no banjo. Um, so, and and this being a more song-based album, kind of the thought was was going for like uh, Tony Rice, Native American kind of vibe. Yeah, uh, you know, there's like a ton of dobro, but no banjo because it's all like there's some things that are faster, but it's mostly like. It's like a different kind of sonic, you know, palette than like a regular bluegrass album.
0: It's funny you, you even just saying the word mashy because I didn't even get that vibe from it. Probably because there's no banjo.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. But it's kind of, it's like, I think it's like 95 BPM, you know, but like hard kind of pocket bluegrass groove that's slow.
0: So this is your, you, you signed with Mountain Fever since I've last spoken with you.
1: Yeah, so I, I did this album. And I just cut the whole thing. And I really didn't have, like, because it was, you know, still 2021, early COVID. So like, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't have any shows or anything for a while, but, like, I had all this time and I had the music. And, and you know, I had been wanting to do another record anyway. And I thought, like, oh, I'll, I'll do this album and then we'll see. You know, because by the time it's done and mastered, things will be much different, I bet. Um, and they were, I think I didn't get it mastered until like towards the end of, of 2021. Uh, and it was around January. Uh, I had a couple of friends like Seth Mulder had just signed with Mountain Fever, him and, him and Midnight Run and, and Mason Faya had just signed. And, and I, I called them. I was like, Hey, do you guys like working with Mountain Fever? And, and they, you know, everyone said yes. Actually, Tim Stafford and Tom Utes had just signed an album to Mountain Fever. And, and yes, yeah, so I just like kind of cold emailed Mark Hodges, the, you know, the owner and I, I had never met him and actually still haven't, I guess I'm hoping to see him at IBM this week. Um, uh, yeah, we, we talked on the phone and, and he's like, yeah, you know, we can, we can put this record out and, um, kind of a, a mixed album deal where it's like a, it's, it's a lease deal on this album, you know, so they're putting it out and then I'll probably, you know, record another record for them here in the future. Nice. Yeah.
0: Voyager was that an independent release?
1: It was, yeah.
0: So, I mean, you did a great job with that, you know. Oh, thanks, you. Yeah. were getting XM Play. What's kind of like an advantage with working with with a with a label like Mountain Fever as opposed to versus you know putting it out putting it out yourself?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Voyager was like a a funny album because I never did me actually I did two shows that were like the Thomas Castle Voyager project, but those were in 2021 <laughs> because, and the reason I did those is because we never, I never did any kind of, you know, tour for Voyager or anything. We played a few of the tracks at circus shows for a long time. Cause like, you know, Matthew Davis and Vince that were in circus, they're also in Voyager. Um, you know, we played a few of the tracks, you know, during circus shows, but I never just like, played the record so so many of the songs hadn't been played and then and then during 2021 20, I, I got a call from uh um, sherry rubin who runs the evergreen music festival in colorado and, and we had played there with circus a long time ago and and she said like hey i want some kind of bluegrass thing for this summer and we just turned it into a kind of like a weekend did a house concert out there and and you know i didn't want to put together a band per se so I just called everyone that was, that was on Voyager. And, you know, obviously everyone was free. <laughs> <It> was <laughs> July of 21, like there were a few shows, but no one was touring or anything. Uh, so yeah, we went out there and we played the whole record for a couple of shows. Um, but yeah, like back to your question, you know, Voyager, I didn't really get much press at all. Like I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, you know you could definitely hire a person yourself or, or even just do it yourself um, but that was just kind of a for fun record you know and i'm i'm really glad that it it got you know amplified the way it did and got like some you know serious xm play and i think it's still in rotation on xm
0: yeah i dude um i swear boy i can't remember when it was now i meant to try to grab my phone and text oh, a yeah. picture of it when I was like driving. <laughs> it yeah. seemed like a terrible idea to hunt for the phone real quick, but it was, it was not too yeah. <laughs> long ago and I was like, Hey, all right, man.
1: So, yeah. So yeah, that, like it's funny, man. I didn't make that record with any intention of anyone ever putting it on like, the radio. Cause it's every song is an instrumental in like five minutes, um, but it's, yeah, it seemed to go over well on Sirius. you know, for this new album, I actually released two singles, uh, just like standalone singles you know pre-dating any kind of album release i did those independently i guess travel shoes and then new november were just a couple of singles that that i put out in 2021 um and you know that did okay but but at that time i was like man you know i want to tour more you know with with this and i want to do some other things and i don't really want to spend time that i don't have to like hustling this album release in in the way that like a label could do for me if I could sign it it over for a lease deal, you know, and like, you know, I'm obviously still paying for that, you know, with giving them their, giving them, you know, their share, but you know, it's, it's been worth it for me just to have a team of of people that I can kind of like, you know, rely on and count on for like, Oh, getting, getting an interview with like bluegrass situation or like a track premiere or those kind of things. I mean, it's, it's a ton of work, man. Hey, yeah. You know, it's people probably have no idea. Yeah. There's a lot to it, yeah. Yeah, when it, gets, it allows you to create, you know? Yeah, honestly, like the music and the recording and mixing and mastering, that's like the easy part. Like, that all takes less time than like the, the production and release of, or the post-production and release of a record. Which is
0: crazy when you think about it.
1: Yeah, it's weird too because it takes like it takes like a year minimum almost to get a record finished and out. And like by that time, like I've already got a bunch of new songs and <laughs> you know, kind of like working on different stuff already, but it's like I'm still got to put a lot of time and investment into this.
0: When you're doing the, when you're doing rights with people, how do you like to do it? I know, I know you mentioned Zoom, and sure, you've probably done some in person, stuff like that, but a lot of times, do you make, um, you know, sit down or message somebody and be like, hey, I've got this song idea I'm working on, I'd love to sit down and flesh it out with you? How's that work?
1: There's a good bit of that. Um, mostly Zoom, like, you know, uh, the main folks that I write with, the main two would be John Weisberger and, and Tim Stafford, and, you know, they both live. John lives in Brevard and Tim lives in East Tennessee. Uh, so, you know, there's not, you know, we can't really like get together in person very easily. And, you know, Zoom's great because like sometimes it takes 45 minutes and then we just log off and it's like there's no commute or anything like that. Um, I do a handful of like in writing, you know, in-person writing if folks are around. Um, but, you know, mostly Zoom, I think. And, and very occasionally I'll do the back and forth thing with somebody
0: which one let's take a song off this album that you figure that you think maybe the, 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 or that we hadn't talked about yet that really um, like uh, blossomed from a songwriting session where you were like oh wow I had this idea but now I've got
1: this song sure well I guess uh, Sufficient for the Day it's kind of a different track it's the only one that has drums
2: though trouble you may find there's more than you can see it follows close behind only one thing's guaranteed all the worry in the world won't stop it anyway and the peace in its place is sufficient for the day every trouble every wall will one day fade away which is you and know what i
1: hadn't done from the drums thus far but like it it's kind of a slow groove and and uh, there's this guy, John Gardner, who he was he was a real successful Nashville Session drummer. I mean, he recorded with, like, Haggard and Willie Nelson and tons of folks. But he's on he's on some Bluegrass records, too. Like, he's on a couple of David Greer's albums and uh, Tim O'Brien's records. And, you know, he's he's the drummer on, like, Cornbread Nation. Well, he, he retired a few years ago and moved back to Johnson City, where he's from. And, uh, you know, I'd been around him. Enough and played with him a little bit, and I thought, man, like John would would really help this song because um, it's slow and it, you know, needs like a lot of resonance and sustain, uh, which is hard to get from just like an acoustic string band. So to have somebody that can really tastefully play drums, you know, with that um, really helped out. But writing that song, I kind of had that, uh, I kind of had that idea maybe late 2019 or early 2020, I was reading uh, Ram Dass. Um, he has a you know book kind of spirituality thing called Be Here Now. And he had highlighted this this verse from the Bible. I think it's like in Matthew or, or something. Um, and it was this really kind of poetic line and it said, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, which, you know, kind of the the spirit of that meaning like don't, make problems for yourself because the day is going to present you with enough problems you don't need any more than are naturally going to come to you. And it's, I really liked that because it's like, it's like, man, like, I feel like, you know, I have a tendency and a lot of folks do to just go out and look for things to bother me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, in this industry in particular, it's like, I travel so much and it's like, you know, everything is annoying. Like, you know, I had, I had like a three hour layover yesterday in Atlanta and just kind of sitting around and eating bad food in the airport. And it's like, man, I'm just like, not going to care that that stuff is, is annoying because I'm going to be presented with real problems. And it's like, you know, saving, kind of saving your your mental capacity for those real problems. So I I had jotted that down in this giant like notes folder on my phone of song ideas. Um, Most of them are really weird. And I don't remember what my intention was when I jotted it down, um, but I put that one down, and, and uh, it was right around the time everything started to get canceled, like you know, middle of March twenty twenty, because it, it was kind of this period where like it was like, oh, this festival's canceled, but I can still hang out with my friends, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, Tim and I got together. I was still living in Johnson City, and he was living in Jonesboro, just fifteen minutes away, so we got together uh, in his basement and wrote that song. Um, And that one actually, I feel like that one took like three hours. It's a pretty short song, but we spent a lot of time on it. Uh, And, you know, like that, that tune is very much written from the perspective of his guitar playing as well, um, which I really like. Like I, I wouldn't have sat down and and come up with like that hook and those chords, you know, if, if not for him. And you know that was one that I I knew immediately that I was going to want to include on on some kind of record. But it was very much like I had this idea, and and it really kind of blossomed in this session that we had.
0: That's so cool, man.
1: Yeah, you know a lot of a lot of songwriting sessions. It's just like I'll message somebody, and we'll just put a date and time on the calendar, and I won't think about anything until we call each other, and then you know we'll kind of rattle off ideas towards each other, and then you know. We agree on something and write You know, I think the first move, the first track on the record—that's how that was written.
2: We should be living like there's no tomorrow, till there's nothing left for us to prove. But the world's full of
1: lonely people. I think I think that one was Tim's idea. It's actually a it's a line from the Green Mile. Uh, yeah, kind of kind of written around that line. And you know, we just you know, it was summer twenty one and you know, we still had a lot of free time. Um, just did a zoom call and that one kinda of came out and and that was like a week before the last session for the album and and I didn't know that I was gonna include that song, but it worked perfectly.
0: Oh, wow, yeah. Opens the album.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah it fit really well with everything else. What, uh, what mantelins do you use on this album?
1: I use the uh, Gibson Sandbush model. Nice. Yeah, nickel strings and uh, KM84s. I can't go wrong.
0: If you uh, picks? What picked Blue chip?
1: Yeah, I don't know what I would have been using. It would have been a blue chip. Probably a probably like a CT 55. Although like my CT 55 I've had since I was like 16. <laughs> uh, it's so it's, it is around. Yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's a circle. <laughs> um, I went through like this huge pick phase this, this year. And, uh, I found out that you can on blue chips website, you can get anything customized. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I didn't know. Because they, they used to sell these TP52 picks at Carter Vintage that were, like, Carter exclusive. Uh, but they quit doing that, and, and I really wanted one. So I, I emailed Matt Goins that uh, runs Blue Chip, and I was like, hey, man, is there any way you can make me one of those? You know? And he said, yeah, just, like, order the closest thing to what you want, and just in the notes, just tell me exactly what you want. Because um, I think they have, like, lasers, you know, doing doing everything. Um, but I ended up, the pick that I've landed on that I've been using a lot is a blue chip TP-55, which they they don't normally make. I think they make a 50 and a 60, but I really like that like 1.4 millimeter thickness. But I've, I've drifted towards the smaller triangle of the TP versus like the TAD or the CT. And then another thing is like, I'll, I'll wear a bevel in pretty quick and, and I don't really like a super bevel pick because it gets really bright. So I just got a round bevel on this. So there's no speed bevel. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's got a little darker tone, but I mean, I've already worn somewhat of a bevel into it. So, yeah, I mean, and I don't have like a blue chip endorsement or anything. I think they'll just do that for anybody.
0: Yeah. Neat. That I did not know that. That's good to know. Mm-hmm.
1: I've gone through a bunch of picks this year. Um, I have a bunch of tortoise shell, but I mean, I'd, I've never loved tortoise on mandolin. It's great for guitar, um, but a mandolin's a little too like wispy for me. I think a little too, a little too bright, too bright for me. Just it's just too much, man. Yeah, like on on guitar, it's cool because it gets these overtones. But oh yeah, I've got an Apollo that I really like as well. Um, I use that fairly often. It's kind of another, you know. Nick, uh, Monin up there is, is great with like customization. Like I bought the Mike Marshall pick when it came out at Apollo thinking it would be kind of what I dig, but it was a little too thick and a little too round. Um, so I sent it back to Nick and kind of told him like, Hey, maybe like, I I want like a little more points and I want like a smaller size. Um, but I kept the material and I kept the thickness and yeah, he was great. He sent me another pick like a couple weeks later, and, and I love it. It's actually a little bit smaller than a blue chip TP. So it's, it's a really good speed pick for me because it's tiny.
0: Yeah, thing. that's great. Yeah, he does, he's does. he got that great return policy, man, where it's like, yeah. you're not happy. It's, you know, send it back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that one was, that's a fantastic pick. I use it mostly on guitar. I really dig it for guitar, but I'll use it on mandolin too. Yeah, I use a Wigan a little bit too, typically live, because like they they're so much darker that like when I can really hear my mandolin, and I'm just playing it, I'm like pulling like a little more tone out of the blue chip. But live, even if you're just using an SM57, like so many engineers will mix it so bright that like sometimes I have to pull the Wigan out to darken up the tone. And, you know, like, if you're playing with a whole band, you don't necessarily need the full spectrum of tone that you get from, like, a a really nice pick. Like, sometimes a dark pick, like a Wiegand, can actually sound best and cut best in a mix, which I found that a lot. Like, just playing live with the mandolinist, I'll have the Wiegand pretty often if I need it.
0: Yeah, that's nice to know too. Like, as if anybody out there is playing, is, you know, just keep a couple picks in your arsenal. So then, you if you're not liking the sound you're getting from a monitor mix, mix yeah. up the picks a little bit. That's a, a, a way you can usually go too, just to help a little bit. Yeah, nothing worse than what? those crazy trebly loud monitors for the mandolin and banjo.
1: Yeah,
0: awful. That's <laughs> the worst, dude. I'd rather
1: have nothing. Yeah, one one thing that I try to do, you know, playing shows as much as possible is to uh, have a stool kind of behind me. You know, some, sometimes you play somewhere. There's not one, but, um, but if it's like a club or a theater and they just have a stool, I'll put it kind of on the back of the stage and I'll, I'll have my like little pick container open. And I'll also, I'll also put like my bottle of water there. Cause I just like, don't love like bending over on stage. It feels weird to me. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you get older. Um, it hurts too. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to, I'm either going to fall or just like, look weird so you know i like just being able to turn around and pick up the water um, but there's a song on the new circus album called west point where i have to do this like hellaciously fast chop and it lasts for like a minute and a half <laughs> like you know It's just a dry shop, but man, I, it is really hard to do that with like a real pick and not drag. Um, and I I have kind of a moment of space before that comes in. So I usually would like turn around and get like the cheapest, like bad little, you know, you know, uh, teardrop flat pick, like just like a fender medium or something. You know, and I'll get one of those and use. I'll use the uh, the round edge and not the point, and I'll I'll do that fast chop with that because it's like I'm not really pulling any tone. I don't necessarily need like a blue chip, 55 for that section of the song, and like it sounds so much better when I use that cheap little pick.
0: Yeah, I um I dropped a pick at a gig a few weeks ago. And my buddy uses those um, the the Fender heavies, kind of like what Sam uses, but he just uses them for guitar. Yeah. And I dropped my pick, so he was, you know he handed me his pick real quick for the yeah. for the solo. And then when I went back, there was like a little section there where we're just kind of you know comping back into the song. And I was just like, holy cow, that thin kind of pick gives you a sweet chuck sound and just you know what I mean when you're doing that. Song, yeah. like what, just exactly what we're saying. It's like, oh my god, this is almost perfect.
1: Yeah that's a big part of Sam's sound is is like he gets that thwack from that chip for, from that, that pick that you wouldn't get from like a blue chip because it's the blue chip doesn't bend. Uh, but that, you know, those picks have just the slightest bit of give.
0: Dude, I love talking this stuff. I, I just, I'm looking at the clock. I don't know how long we've to talk about picks, but it's
1: awesome. <laughs> I'm totally here for it. Yeah. I have so many.
0: Yeah, same here. I've got, I'm looking at like 15, maybe more in front of me right now, just because I, you know, just go through that phase every now and again where I'm like woodshedding or working on tone. I'm like, I I will buy pretty much any pick, you know, that's pretty, in the grand scheme of things, it's pretty inexpensive, you know, even like the more expensive picks, you know, it might make me think a minute before I get it, but I'm eventually going to get one because I do, I mean. I just want to find the best sound I can find. And if, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a 10 cent pick or a $50 pick, if, if yeah. it sounds best yeah. to my ears, then I, that's what I'm going to use, you know? And...
1: Yeah. And like, it's no different with like electric guitar players buying pedals and, you know, you know, pickups and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, picks are EQ as much as they're anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it'll never stop for me. Cause it's like, I, I like one thing, but then I'll find another pick that that, other pick doesn't have you know, or like that you know some characteristic that the pick i'm using doesn't have that i like and i'll switch but then i'll miss the one thing so i'll switch back <laughs> pick, yeah you know. exactly it's all just like you just move through these phases mm-hmm.
0: any uh, any new gear in your world recently
1: man well i've got i've got a duff mandolin that's that's totally done
0: that's uh, what i was thinking i was gonna say i think paul's in the country right now right
1: he is, but, uh, this mandolin is totally done. It's just, you know, the varnish is just curing. So he's going to ship it over here as soon as he gets back early October. But yeah, it's, it's totally done. It hasn't been set up yet or anything, but yeah, that that's that the photos. It's just, I'm just waiting for it. <laughs>
0: what are the, uh, what are the specs like wood
1: wise? Yeah. So it's uh, sugar maple, just hard sugar maple. You know, it's, it's interesting cause Paul's in Perth, you know, Western Australia, um, but that sugar maple, he gets from a wood dealer in, in uh, hayside, Virginia, which is about like 30 minutes away from where I grew up, which is, which is really cool to have it, you know, the woods from there, but it's made on the you know, other side of the world. Um, but just beautiful sugar maple, uh, two piece back, uh, you know, Adirondack red spruce top, just, you know, that combination of wood just gets you that kind of crack from a mandolin. You know, there's some great woods like Engelman and Carpathian and Red Maple, but man, there's like absolutely nothing wrong with Sugar Maple and, uh, and Red Spruce. I mean, it's for me, it's like the best combination, and it's really bright, which is why we went with the X-Bracing pattern. Um, kind of to pull the, pull the brightness down a little bit and give it some kind of mid-range crunch. Um, and, you know, I, I really dig X-Bracing like, you know, Ronnie McCurry's being like the ma- his Gilchrist being like the main X braced mandolin that I think about that I love, you know that's just one of one of the best mandolins out there. I mean, and, and you know he is a big part of that sound, but but if you can tell like when he plays that versus the lore, you know how different they are. And I really like that kind of mid range cut from the X brace. Um, so those are the main specs. I think we're doing a. One and one-eighth kind of standard nut, you know, radius fingerboard. Um, the the biggest difference on this mandolin that we went with, which Paul had never done, but now has, like, several orders for. <laughs> I think he said that, like, some people were really starting to want it. We did an F4-style burst. Oh, no way, really? Yeah, so kind of a red mahogany kind of sunburst on the on the back and front because it's just man to me like i love like the old cremona floor f5s but like some of those teens and 20s f4s and h4s are just the red burst is just so beautiful
0: i couldn't i I saw a good deal on an f4 a while back but it wasn't the reddish burst. And I just couldn't even like, but well, it's not even I, like, I got to have the,
1: <laughs> like, yeah, If I'm going to get
0: one. It's going to be yeah, and, exactly how I picture it in my head, you know? And yeah. That burst is a big part of it. Might have been an F2. Actually. I say, I might be saying that right. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful yeah. color.
1: Yeah. So you got, I think after, you know, posting some like bench pictures on Facebook, there were several people who were like, I want this color on my man. one." <laughs> so, But yeah, because Paul's built a handful of F4s before and H4s and stuff. And and, uh, so he was, you know, he obviously did a great burst. Honestly, man, there's like, there's nobody that is doing, like, finishes like Paul right now. Um, Yeah, like his, his Cremona sunbursts are, you know, better than anything. You know, he's really figured it out. And, you know, French polish, you know, just varnish, you know, nothing wrong with that.
0: No, no. Oh, I'm so excited for you to get it, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty stoked for it. Yeah, um, send me some pictures when
1: it, uh, when yeah. it arrives. It's, you know, it's, it's weird getting an instrument and not playing it first. Um, but, like, I really trust him, and we, and we talked so much about, like, the tone that I wanted. And, you know, and I've played so many duffs that I love. Like, I, I know that, like, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know that it's going to be really good. So that's the thing. And like, and you know, I'll be the one that kind of gets to break it in so that, you know, I'll get to figure out the song, the sound for myself.
0: Yeah. You way. guys will figure each other out, man. That's, that's yeah. awesome. You know, you're going to, you guys are going to work into a tone <laughs> together. Yeah. Yeah. How exciting, man. Well, dude, yeah. congrats on the new album and the new mandolin coming soon. And again, Thanks, uh, yeah. Where, yeah. Where can everybody find you if they don't already know where you're at?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my website's the main place I'm on, all the socials and stuff too, but, uh, dot com And everything's there. Uh, You can find the album, find all my socials. And I also, I'll mention that I, I run a Patreon account. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a huge operation. It's just, I do, you know, one transcription every week, kind of a mandolin tune of the week thing.
0: Oh, get out. Nice man.
1: Yeah. Just, just put out like a kind of slow recording as well as the transcription, you know, both tab and notation. And, I'll post a video lesson every once in a while, but the mandolin tune of the week is the main thing, and and really just trying to highlight like great mandolin tunes because I feel like the thing on mandolin is to learn all the spittle tunes, but there's there's so many great mandolin tunes. So the criteria for this this series is just that it has to be written by a mandolin player, and, you know, played on the mandolin.
0: Nice man. How long have how long have you
1: uh, had that going? I started it last fall. Wow. Um, I took a little break. Yeah, I took a little break, but I think we're in like the 30s maybe for tunes. Oh, no kidding, getting, dude. Getting close. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I'll post a link. That's awesome, man.
1: Yeah, I think some of the tunes, like, we started with uh, Butch Bell's Sorry, Old Town. Cause it's, yeah, I'm just trying to find these kind of deep cut tunes that, like, no one is really learning, but, you know, are kind of easy to go jam with people. So there's a couple of Butch tunes, there's like a couple of Norman Blake tunes, I think Bright Days and Blake's March, but then there's also some like deeper cut stuff that I've tried to do. There's a Donna Stoneman tune called Colossus that she used to play with the Stonemans. It's like the weirdest, coolest mandolin tune. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever transcribed it. Cause it's, it's like very, very much a deep cut, but that one's on there. And, and, you know, like a uh, Nancy Blake hangin' dog. Have you ever heard that one? So just like a lot of Weird Man on tunes, you know, all transcribed. And, I, you know, I try to put all the pick strokes and fingerings and stuff. Wow,
0: that's fantastic, dude.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, it's not, it's not like a huge Patreon operation, but, you know, I just like turning people onto these tunes.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thomas, always a pleasure talking with you. I'm super excited. This will be coming out Friday, so we'll have seen each other. But I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing you at IBMA. I always love hanging out with you, dude. And, absolutely uh, man. yeah i'm really and, stoked to hang out same here and i love the new album people should go out and buy it and um yeah thanks for doing the podcast buddy
1: yeah man thanks for having me back on i appreciate it
0: all right everybody thanks so much for tuning in hope to see some of you in raleigh at ibma and uh yeah go out and pick up thomas's new album and check out his patreon all the links will be in the description of the podcast and at mandolinsandbeer.com cheers everybody